something. I want to dive into the message today. I really feel like uh, I've got a word for us. We've been in this series, I Believe in God, but I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, how many of you have enjoyed the last? We're doing it for four weeks. This is our last week. Uh, and really, it's been in an attempt to answer tough questions that we have in our life. And I realize questions are a normal part of life, and tough questions are a normal part of life. What I've learned is it's what we do with the questions that matters most. we got to go to the right place to get the answers from the right person. And so for us, we've been going to the Word of God. We're believers, we're Christians, and we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. And when we have questions, He's got the answer to the questions in His Word. Can I get an amen? amen. And so we've been answering some of these tough questions, and it's been a great, great journey. Uh, last weekend, we talked about when life gets hard, uh, when life is tough. And, uh, and we talked about the fact that life is going to get tough. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. And there will be seasons where life is tough, and that's just the way it is. Can I get an amen? You're going to go through mountaintop experiences. You're going to go through valleys, and that's okay. But what we have to do is we have to learn how to live life with the right mentality. Uh, and the right mentality is the mentality of a disciple. And we realized that last weekend there are two types of mentalities people can have. You can have a discipleship mentality, or what we can do is we can have a consumer mentality. And they're totally different. A consumer's mentality is where I am at the center of my mindset. I'm at the center of my life. It's all about what I want, how I want it, and the way I want it, and when I want it. Uh, and here in America, that mentality is really perpetuated through the consumerism of Americans. We have goods and services that are bought and sold, and the sole focus of those goods and services is us. And so it's awesome. It's great in America when you're buying goods and services because we want it to be all about us. But what we have to be careful about is that Christianity is not about a consumer mentality, that Christianity is not all about us. It's not all about what I want, the way I want it, when I want it. It's not Burger King. Come on, somebody. It's not. It's about him. And that's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship says, God, you are at the focus. God, you are at the center. God, everything in my life, it revolves around you. It's about what you want, when you want it, how you want it. And I am here to simply serve and to love you. And so we're going to piggyback off of that conversation today. And if we really have a discipleship mentality, which my greatest desire is to raise up a church full of disciples. I don't want consumers. I think you can come in as a consumer, but if you've been here for any amount of time and you stay that way, I feel like I failed. I feel like you, we, we've got to end up living this life in such a way that, that even if persecution comes, which it will, even when Christians are persecuted and martyred, and I believe there will be a day in the United States, I don't know how long from now, that we will be persecuted at a greater level than we've ever thought possible. We've got to be ready, and the only way you can be ready is if you've raised up a church full of disciples that say, God, it's all about you. It's always been about you. That's what I love about this. Victory has a name, and it's Jesus. That everything is about Jesus. This church is about Jesus. Our lives are about Jesus. And if he is at the center, then we're doing well. Can I get an amen? And so I, I think about that, and I think, okay, if God is really the focus, if he's the center, then i got to love what God loves. 
I got to find out what's important to him. And we know John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, for God so, everybody say it. God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see here that God loved us and he loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus so that we would not die and go to hell but that we would be saved and experience eternal life with him. And the thing I love about it is that God loves all people. Everybody say all people. He loves black people. He loves white people. He loves Hispanic people, Indian people, Asian people. Come on. That's what I love about our church. I think our church reflects heaven. I just love it. He loves rich people and poor people and middle class people. He loves young people. He loves old people. Come on. He loves middle aged people. He He loves men and women, boys and girls and He loves all those that are old, but think you're young. Come on, somebody. (laughs) He loves us all. And the thing is, God loves everyone. And what we know is that if he loves people, we've got to love what he loves, which are people. And, you know, for me, uh, I love my son, Caden. And see, what I've learned is because I love Caden, I love the things that Caden loves. Now, Caden is 12 years old. Uh, here's a picture of him. Just I took it a couple of weeks ago. I'm, he looks like a grown man. Girls, stop lusting. He's 12. <laughs> Bunch of cougars. Just saying. <laughs> that, so, <laughs> just, just, hold, just chill out. Just chill out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Help me, God. So here, here he is, he, he's hunting. Now, now look, he's got a bigger smile here. He don't smile like that when I'm preaching. I can't keep him awake when I'm preaching. And, and here he is, look at his smile, man. When he is around guns, when he is hunting, he just loves, he, lo- he comes alive. He, he told me the other day, he said, all I want to do is take people on tours and, and, and guide people on hunting trips. And he said, man, I just have a passion. But well, listen, I wasn't raised hunting. I, I didn't even pick up a gun till my mid-30s. I didn't even go on my first hunting trip till late 30s. Uh, I'm not that old, so just don't try to count my age. So, so that's when I went on my first trip. But what I realized was when he was about seven or eight, we were watching the hunting channel, and, and he just had a passion for it and loved it. If I love him, i got to love the things he loves. So you know what? We bought one gun. Now not only do we have one gun, we have like seven guns, two pistols, We've been deer hunting, we've killed axes, we've killed hogs and squirrels and everything in between. We've done all these different things, not because I love hunting. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't go hunting. But you know what? I love it now. Why? Because I love him. I'm trying to connect with him. And, and I just realized that if I'm going to connect with him, i got to love what it is that he loves. You know, someone says, well, what do you love? You know, if you want to connect with me, the thing I love is I love my kids, you know, you love me, I don't need you to buy me anything. I got everything I want. I, I, God has blessed me. I, someone says, well, what do you want? Man, I'm good. I got a great life, got an amazing family, got an amazing church. But if you want to bless me, bless my children. Buy them stuff. Love on them. Let them feel your unconditional love, not because of what they do, but because they, who they are. They're my kids. You just love on them. And about a year and a half ago, uh, I met a man named Jerry Carnes. I don't know if you know Jerry, my man. Jerry, are you in here? I don't even know if he's in this service. 
Uh, he's in probably the second one. And uh, we did small groups here at the church. It's not what we do, it's who we are. And I was doing a small group at Chick-fil-A and I met him out in the breezeway and I invited him to come out to my small group and get to know him a little bit more. I know his, his son-in-law and his daughter, they come to the church and he had just recently started to attend and he comes to the small group and we're going through a book and I mean, the book's good, but really the book is the excuse, right? The, the, the point of it is the relationship. And so we were just talking and I told him, you know, I'm trying to get into hunting and shooting guns and talking about my family and how much my son loves guns. And he said at the end of it, pulled me over the side, hey, pastor, you know, I got some property. He's got some property about 25 minutes from here. And he lives just outside of town. And he said, look, why don't you just bring your family? And he said, I got this place where we shoot guns and we go and shoot and just bring Caden and we can shoot guns. And I thought, well, that's awesome. I mean, that's the beauty of small groups. It's about finding things we all love and building community. See, we don't do small groups because we're trying to add another thing to our schedule. We do it because you were never intended to live life alone. We're intended to live in community. And when we live in community, we find the freedom that God intended for us to walk through. And so I said, absolutely, we'll go out. And so Phyllis, we, we, we really didn't know him that well. We said, we'll go out. And I said, but the only thing, I'm gonna bring my, all of them. He said, oh yeah, bring all your kids. And I mean, you know, sometimes when you got four kids, that's a game changer. <laughs> They're like, yeah, hold up, let's find them. <laughs> I'll come to your house. And uh, so we go out there and they had dinner for us and Caden is shooting and him and Mr. Jerry just hit it off and having fun, talking shop, talking guns. And I mean, to this day, we go out to his property usually once or twice a month. But the amazing thing was Jerry and Caden really had this connection. Like Jerry, he's, he's that grandfather type and he's loving on Caden and, and Caden came home and he said, dad, man, I really like Mr. Jerry. I said, well, man, that's awesome. And he said, yeah. He said he serves on the parking team. Come on, somebody. Anybody in the parking team out there? And, and he said he serves on the parking team. And, you know, he's out there, and he, he wanted to know if I wanted to be a part of it. And I said, yeah, go be on the parking team. So now Caden is out there parking cars. You know, we don't park cars. We park people. And so he's out there just waving at people, loving on people. And Mr. Jerry and him are driving around. He gets here at 6 a.m. Caden, my 12-year-old, at 6 a.m. here. Why? Because Mr. Jerry needs him out there to go and serve and Jerry takes him out to breakfast and they text each other and Jerry will even drive 30 minutes, he lives about 30 minutes away, to come pick Caden up in the afternoon to go out there and shoot and spend some time and then bring him all the way back. How many know I love me some Jerry Carnes? I mean, I, I, and over the last year and a half, Jerry has become one of my dearest friends here at the church. Why? Because Jerry loves what I love. He has a passion for the things that I have a passion for. And I would say the same thing is true with us and God. We are called to have a passion and a love for the things God loves. And God loves his kids. All of his kids. And we've got to know, look at Luke 19, 10. It says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus, God said, look, I love all my kids. They're lost. Go down there on a rescue mission. And we must know God's on a rescue mission and he wants us to join him. That each and every one of us would be a part of it. Look, you were lost, but you're not lost anymore when you become a believer. So where it was about you, now the switch has to be flipped. It's not about you anymore. It's about reaching those who are still lost. 
Look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It says, and then he told them, go. Everybody say, go. Into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. This is the Great Commission. This is where Jesus is telling his disciples their assignment. It's the last time he would speak to them before ascending into heaven. And so Jesus came on a rescue mission. He gave his life. He died on a cross. He went to the grave. He rose again. And now what he does is he transfers that assignment to us and say, Look, I'm passing the baton. Now it's yours. Your assignment is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Now somebody said, well, look, pastor, you're the preacher. Go ahead, preach, preach. I know I'm preaching on a Sunday, but here he never intended for everybody to have a pulpit and to preach from it. Preaching the gospel is proclaiming the greatness of God in your life. Has God done anything good for anybody in this place? Then what we're called to do when we go into the world, is that we would proclaim the greatness of God. Oh, if you knew what God did today. Man, God saved me. God set me free. The bondage that I once lived in, I don't live in anymore. He's touched my family. He's healed my body. He's blessed my finances. My life is good. Why? Because God stepped into the middle of my life. I'm not a consumer. I'm a disciple. And we proclaim the greatness of God. And we must understand that it's our responsibility for us to be engaged in the rescue mission that God has called us to be a part of. What a tragedy for us to come to church each and every week and to get all of God but not really extend that invitation to other people. And I know we're full of a church of inviters, but we need to understand that everywhere we go, there are lost people. And it's not just about inviting them to church. It's about doing anything we can to connect them to the heart of God. Why? Because his kids are lost. A couple of years ago, Phyllis and I went to the Children's Museum and Uh, It's a great place to go. It's in downtown Houston. How many have ever been to the Children's Museum? It's awesome. If you hadn't been, it's great. And we got a whole bunch of kids and a big family. And so Steve and Stephanie and us, and there was another couple of people with us. And we we go down there, spend the morning. And I mean, it's amazing. It's like this herd of kids like I'd never seen. And they're going buzzing back and forth and parents. And it's a lot of fun. We spent a couple of hours. We're exhausted. But had a blast, we get ready to go and we're grabbing the whole Kyle's clan and come on Kyle's team, it's time to go and rounding up all the kids, Phyllis is getting kids, I'm getting them, Steve, Stephanie, we all grab the kids and we start heading out the door, everything's peachy fine, it's amazing. Then we get ready, we cross the street and I'm just looking around and I'm like, hey, has anybody seen Addison? Anybody got that one kid? So I thought we're good, like I'm good. And I'm like, hey, has anybody seen Addison, my cute little baby girl? And I'm like, yeah, no, she's with Phyllis. And so I turn around and I'm looking back. Hey, Phyllis, have you seen Addison? No, I thought she was with you. And we're looking. And Steve, have you seen her? I hadn't seen her. We done crossed the street. It's been about five to ten minutes now because we were just sitting there talking. And all of a sudden, my heart sinks. Have you ever had that moment of panic? Like you for real, like something, like, like your heart sinks. And so my heart is sunken in, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, so like for real, like Addison's missing. Yes, she's missing. Well, I thought she was over there. And then, no, we thought, no, we're looking here, looking there. Now it's full-blown panic. I'm asking Steve, hey, go with me to the parking lot. You know, I'm thinking somebody's abducted her, something happened to her. 
And so Phyllis says, look, we're going to split, divide, and conquer. We're going on a rescue mission. Me and Stephanie, we're going to go into the museum. You and Steve go into the parking lot. Everybody else, you guys are going to focus, be looking, calling her name. We're screaming, Addison, Addison. I'm running now. I'm freaking out a little. You, you know, after about five, it's been five to ten minutes now. Freaking out, running into the cars. I remember looking in cars. I had just watched the show Taken. <laughs> Come on. So now all the fears, I'm like, oh my God, she's been abducted. My little girl's been abducted. And, and I'm running through the cars and so much so that a car was pulling through the, the toll part. And I'm like, hold on, wait, wait. <clears throat> Have you seen my daughter? They're like, they're like, bro, chill out. Like, what is going on? I'm like, roll down your window. <laughs> that didn't happen, but it would have been funny. <laughs> didn't happen. But I was looking, and now I'm freaking out even more because we've done search the entire parking lot, and we still hadn't found her. Phyllis and Steph come out. We still hadn't found her. Security guards involved. They locked down the children's museum, and just nobody really go in and out. So we're, we're walking around and panic everywhere. And about five minutes into it, we go to the very, very back, and she is sitting down at a table playing with a kid. We finally found her. Yeah. How many know that's the time you kind of want to slap them like I love you? <laughs> I love you. But you know, the crazy thing is she didn't even know she was lost. And you know, I wonder, in that moment, think about this. I, I didn't say, well, look, I got three out of four, 75%. That ain't bad. <laughs> like, I'm good. We just, we just lost one, you know. I, it, it, it wasn't like, hey, maybe, hey, do you mind helping me? I, I asked everybody, hey, I need you to look. I mean, everybody's going on this search. and re I need everybody's help. We were willing at that moment. I'm telling you, I would have done anything to find my baby girl in that moment. Anything, anything, anything. And I wonder if for us, sometimes that's not God's mentality, but we don't see it. Like we're sitting in church, our lives are changed, everything is amazing. And look, I'm thrilled and excited about it, but what about the one that's not sitting next to you? Look to the empty seat to the right or to the left or to the back or the people that are lost, dying and going to hell. And while we sit here, I wonder if God wants to put an urgency inside of us that says, look, I love you, it's awesome. I loved Caden, I loved Carson, I loved Raylan, but Addison was missing. I didn't care how uncomfortable we were. I didn't care what it was gonna take. We were gonna find my missing girl. And for us, the mentality has to be, God, I'm going to do anything to find the lost that you so desperately want to save. And I want to look at a story this morning found in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It gives us a picture of the heart of Jesus. And really, I love the story. It's the story of where Jesus calls Levi to become a disciple. And it's the story where Jesus sits down and he eats with sinners, with the lost, those that don't have a relationship with him. And if I were going to title the message, it would be, how do I own the moment? How do I own the moment? How do I own the moment? Mark chapter 2, verse 13 says, Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. So you got Levi, he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, for those of you that don't know this, Levi is actually Matthew. So this translation says Levi, but it's, you know, the, the gospel Matthew found, or the book Matthew found in the gospels. 
He's the writer that would eventually write the book that we love so, mo- so much in the New Testament. And this is the moment where he has an encounter with Jesus. This is the moment he's sitting down doing what he does, which is collect taxes, and Jesus sees him. And he speaks to him, and he says, look, follow me, be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Levi, or Matthew, he gets up and he follows Jesus. And then it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. I want to spend just a few minutes. I want to talk just briefly about this and share a few thoughts that I have about how to own the moment, how to really... Reach those that God has called us to reach in our life. In this story, it's interesting because Matthew is a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth. Jewish people hated them because they were the ones that collected Roman taxes from Jewish people. They already hated the Romans. And so they felt like they were sellouts because here you are, you're going to collect money from us for the enemy. And so nobody wanted to be around them. They were schemers and scammers and They were the lowest of the low, and we see Jesus as he's walking by with the crowd, he sees Levi. So he sees him, and then he's passing by, and and, and I love it when he sees Levi, because look, Jesus wasn't on an outreach mission. He wasn't doing evangelism. He wasn't doing a block party. He wasn't a part of a small group at this moment. They weren't even at a Sunday worship service. And all those things are good. They're awesome. We do all of them. But what I want you to see is that Jesus was just living life, and Jesus learned how to live moment ready. Moment ready. I mean, he just walking by, and all of a sudden, God quickened to his heart. Oh, there's Levi. He's a tax collector sitting in his booth collecting taxes. And Jesus recognized there was a divine moment for this man to have an encounter with him. I mean, moment ready, it's not something that we just hashtag Moment ready. It's not just the website slogan. It's not just stuff we put everywhere. It's a mentality that we want to live with that Jesus lived with. That Jesus lived maximizing every single moment of his life. Look at Ephesians 5.16. It says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Every opportunity. That even in the moments of just walking by, casually living life, see, even through the busyness of his schedule and the demands of the crowd, Jesus was always ready to stop and to interact with the one. See, I love our church, and it's amazing how many people are here, but let me let you know numbers matter. They do matter, and, and I, I got it. You know, I've, I've been pastoring and coaching church planners, and people say, well, you know, numbers don't really matter. They do matter. Why? Because numbers include the one. That Jesus cares about the one. Jesus cares about those people, and if they're not here, he's not reaching them. If we're not reaching them, then nobody's reaching them. Jesus cares about people and the one and the one. And Jesus understood what it was to own the moment. And I believe that for us, the key is that every one of us in our daily lives, we've got to learn how to live on mission and to reach the people that God has placed within reach of our lives. 
that each and every one of us, look, God has put people in your life. God has put people around you. God has put people like Levi in your world that when you're casually walking by, maybe you're at the grocery store, maybe you're at your job, maybe you're down the neighborhood, maybe you're at the gas station. I don't know where it's at, but wherever you go, God has put the Levi's in your world. I love Chris Bickham. Chris, where you at? You somewhere around here? Woo-woo! Got my boy Chris. You know... They had their small group this last semester, and uh, I, I loved him coming to me and telling me about a story. They go and work out at 24-hour fitness and uh, have a great small group. There's a bunch of guys. They meet up at 6 a.m. and go work out, and they, they end up talking to everybody. It's so funny. I'll get there about 7, and I'm like, man, you guys are like a walking party. Like they're laughing and having fun and connecting with people. And on a Friday, they went upstairs and they're playing basketball, just shooting some hoops. And there was a a man and his son in there and they began to play some pickup ball and just having fun, just shooting hoops, talking. Hey, what do you do? Well, what do you do? And man, tell me about how come you guys always look so happy? How come y'all always having fun? And they said, well, I'm glad you asked. You know, we're believers. We love Jesus. They talked about the church. They invited the man and his son to come to the church. The man and his son and his wife come to the church. Lo and behold, sit in a message. His son gives his life to Jesus Christ in one of the services here at Anchor Bend. And they come to church now. And I love it. I'll see him in the mornings, give him a hug. And what, what was the point? The point is this. They just live in life. Sometimes, look, I know that it's good. I want you to invite people to church, but it's got to start way before the invitation to church. We got to meet them where they're at. We got to find out where they're at. We got to love them where they are. And then what will happen is God will open up the door for us to talk about him and then for them to be invited to church. And don't be afraid of who they are. I love what it says in in, in this verse where it says, he sat with disreputable sinners. Ha, ha. Come on, man. I, I, I just love it. Why? Because before I was saved, I was a sinner. Are you kidding, man? I could do one thing well. That was sin. I did it well. And and where did we get off to this point where we judge sinners? Sinners do what sinners do. They sin. And I'm, I'm concerned about this whole mentality at times from the church and from Christians is that we can't get around them. We can't spend time with them. I love that Jesus was close to sinners. I love that he didn't mind to get his hands dirty. I love that he sat down and had dinner with them. He understood proximity creates passion. That when I'm close to them, I begin to hear the stories of what God's doing. And I begin to hear their life challenges and their struggles. See, when there's distance, there's distortion. See, we kind of pigeonhole them. They're all, all them people, all those people, those, those disreputable sinners. Jesus said, no, no, baby, I want to be close. Why? Because their story evokes passion for me to extend the love of Jesus so that they would be reached in a powerful way. I just believe we ought to do anything short of sin to save those that are lost. I just believe it. Come on. Now, you can't save them. Jesus saves them. But I I just believe we ought to do anything possible to reach them except sin. I mean, we need to get real, real close. You know, it's interesting. I actually, uh, I had someone just, just a couple months ago, they left the church, and I asked someone, hey, how come they left the church? And I thought it was pretty interesting. They said, well, they had one thing. And then they said, you know, they didn't like your statement, do anything short of sin to reach the lost. And I thought, you know, for a second, it kind of broke my heart. 
You know, for, for me, I just thought, let, let me ask you a question. And I didn't get a chance to talk to him. But I, I thought this, if your child was lost, what would you do? I mean, can I just be honest? I'm just, I'm just going to unveil my... I would do anything legal. And if my child was lost, i got to be honest, I'd probably do anything illegal too. Rose Rich, baby. I'm just... God, I'm a work in progress. How many know you do the same? And so where do we get off to where we say, look, look, like that's too much. Like that's... I'm not asking you to sin. I'm just telling you we ought to get as close into their world as possible. We ought to sit with them. We ought to eat with them. We ought to, when did it become us versus them? Yet for the grace of God go I. I was there. I used to be like that. But somebody loved me back to God. And you got to watch the religious. Look at verse 16. Look at what it says. It says, but when the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees, these are the religious... They saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Isn't that interesting? Number one, I, think, I always think it's interesting they didn't ask Jesus. They didn't have the courage to ask Jesus. They go talk and mess to everybody else. But Jesus had the boldness to say, I know your heart. I'm gonna I don't need my disciples to speak for me. I'll address what needs to be said. And then here's the other deal is they don't talk to the sinner as an individual. They, they categorize them and label them. I want you to know when you label people, you'll never be able to reach those people. Why? Because you dehumanize them. That's why I was telling you when it's all about the numbers, it's all about the one. We've got to get their story, what, what their understanding is. It's all about, like we've got to know that every person has a story. That, yeah, there is sin in their life, but let's get to know them. Let's don't categorize and label people. And I've just learned that the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats. Yeah, because it's interesting, you know, they, they're criticizing Jesus, but did you see them doing anything to reach lost? These are the religious. These are the ones that are supposed to have the answer. They didn't, they didn't want to do nothing, but they're going to talk smack on everybody who does. I've learned this. Haters are going to hate. Come on. <laughs> They're going to hate, hate, hate. <laughs> They're going to hate. I mean, I'll never forget even, what, two, three years, probably three years ago now. You know, I was just naive into the church. I feel like I've grown up. Five years has grown me up. That's what all these white hair and the bald spots all about. <laughs> Y'all put it there. Just saying. It's your fault. <laughs> I never forget, man. I'm reaching lost. I'm thinking, well, nobody's got, I mean, that's what we're called to do. Somebody created a Facebook page on me. Like, it wasn't a nice one. It was like, Jim Giles is a fraud. I'm like, bro, do you realize I gave everything to start? Like, I'm a fraud? Like, like I just, you, you got to know this. And, and the Lord really spoke to me. He said, baby, just get ready. Have thick, stin, thick skin but a soft heart. So what do you mean, man? The, the enemy is going to hate is going to hate. People going to say, people say stuff about us now. It's okay. Look, this is all I know. Come in, this is what I say all the time. Come and see. Come in. Because you get them inside of a worship service like this today. You can't deny the presence of God. You can't deny what God's doing in this place. And so you look, I get it. And, and I also tell you this, this church ain't for everybody. I get it. There are other places where you can go and the pastor's probably not going to talk like this. And, and that's okay. And I want you to know, I just want you in a church. I'd love for you to be here with us, but we cannot allow them to cause us not to be who God's called us to be. We've got to love people, not judge them. Love them. See, when you judge them, you'll never be able to reach them. 
Just love them. My, my job is not to tell them what kind of sinner they are, how what they're doing is so bad. We just want to win them with the love of Christ. We want to love them unconditionally. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You think about that. He didn't ask you to get cleaned up. He didn't ask you to put yourself together. And so what we have to be careful of, and one of my responsibilities as your pastor, is to keep putting the mission of God in front of us. Oh, I know we look nice and we're all dressed up and life is good. Look, your marriage is hopefully doing better than it's ever done. Your family's closer to God than it's ever been. You're purer than you have ever been. Those battles that used to bring you down don't bring you down. Why? Because you, you've been in church a little while. We've been, we've been domesticated. We're good. We're like, okay, God, but don't let us become domesticated Christians. Let us remain barbaric Christians. What does that mean? That means we are barbaric in our reaching for the lost. We're barbaric in the heart that we'll do whatever it takes. That that means blood, sweat, and tears. We're going to bleed. We're going to sweat. We're going to cry. We're going to do whatever it takes to reach people. We're not going to judge them. We're going to love them. And we're going to refuse to allow what God did in us to be something that becomes dormant. Because that's what happens, right? When you first got saved, how I many know you were radical? You were telling everybody, he saved me from drugs. He saved me from that abusive relationship. He saved me from the addiction. He set me free. And we tell everybody. And then what happens is we become domesticated. And then, if we're not careful, the enemy begins to cause us to judge those that were like us when we got saved. So we're going to say, God, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to love them unconditionally. That, God, your heart breaks for the lost. That, God, you, you want to see each one of them saved and set free. And I believe, let me just tell you, I believe there's going to be a revival in Rosenberg and Richmond and Sugarland and Fort Bend County. And we're going to be right in the middle of it. I believe it's already taking place. You, but, but I will tell you, we haven't seen anything yet. So we've got to say, God, I'll do whatever it takes. I love what it says here. The last verse says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who are sinners. They know it. They know it. See, you don't have to beat a sinner up. They know it. Can we just love them? See, our responsibility is to love like Jesus and then to lead people to Jesus. That's it. I say, God, we're, we're going to love like you. We're going to lead people to you. And look, I do it from a pulpit. You may do it from a classroom as a teacher. You may do it from the locker room as a coach or maybe the boardroom of your business office. Maybe it's the construction side or the job side of your construction company. The reality is this. You've got to do it in your world. And if I do it in my world and we all come together, what will happen is God strategically places you throughout this city, throughout this region, throughout all the businesses, and we begin to infiltrate the enemy's territory and we begin to see God save those who others had written off because he loves them and he's found a church that is passionate about reaching them. Whatever it takes. You know, I met this lady probably three, four months ago. Her name is Mary. And Roy and Jennifer used to live, I think it's Dolce Apartments, about a year and a half ago. They were building a home, and they're out there living in the apartments, and there was a social gathering. I mean, we just got to be Jesus everywhere. Love like Jesus. And they began to talk, and it was a lady, she's from Iran, had been here just a couple of months. Now she's been here about a year and a half. 
And they just began to love on her. Just, hey, and Jennifer and her hit it off. And one thing led to another, began to talk about their stories. Jennifer's from South Africa and talking about being here and just connecting. And Jen said, well, we found a great church. I wish you would come to the church. See, Mary was raised Muslim. And in Iran, she, she had found some Christian friends and was learning about Jesus and even attending some of the services. But when she came to the stage, she didn't have a place. Felt lost and walking through some struggles and troubles in, in her life and her marriage and problems and, and just felt lost. And Jennifer said, hey, why don't you do this? Just come to church. She said, well, I don't even have a car right now. Jennifer said, hey, hold up. It don't matter. We'll bring you. So Roy and Jennifer bring her to church and she's been coming now for almost a year, gives her life to Jesus, and last weekend is baptized. Yeah. And said what's happened in her life, she, she's in fear of ever going back to Iran because they kill Christians. And I just thought this, she was alone in the States, and Roy and Jennifer just loved her, right where she was in the apartment complex, doing life, not, not anything else, just life. They, did, they didn't, and, and listen to me, I believe it, but they didn't even have to go on an evangelistic outreach because I think that's what happens, right? We, we say, well, that's for all the evangelisms and wait, wait till we do our, our serve day with the Dream Center. Like, we'll go out home to home and do, no, no. Listen, you're an evangelist right now. That God has given you a mission right now. That your life, we've got to take the ownership of that mission and say, God, I'm going to own the moments that you give me. I'm going to live moment ready now. What does that mean? That means as you're walking by, look, Levi was sitting at the tax collector's booth doing what he did. Jesus walked by and what I, I know is that he saw a divine moment. There's a moment right now. There's a moment. And the thing I love about God is if you will ask him, he will give you those divine moments. That half the battle is just awareness. God, give me an awareness. God, help me to see what I'm not actually seeing right now. God, I want to see the world as you see. And we've got to make this awareness a part of our life. Not allow life to make us busy. Not allow ourselves to get distracted. But to realize when we wake up in the morning, look, I know you're going to work. I know you may go to the gym. I know you got, but look, this morning you're on a rescue mission. Visualize the people that God will put in your path. And this is what I love. I'm telling you, I've seen it in my life, even at the gym. That's, that's one of my greatest places to witness to people and to bring, because that's, that's people that I know that don't know Jesus. And God always has a way of switching the conversation about Jesus. And then whatever questions I don't answer there, I just say, hey, come to the church. I don't usually even tell them the pastor, come on, church. Just come on, church. Come and see what's changed my life, that we would live on mission, that we as believers would own the moment, knowing that God is passionate about saving his kids. Do anything, God, I'll, I'll do anything. God, I'll do anything. God, I'll do anything. I mean, I always just go back to this. What would you do for your family to be saved? I mean, imagine that your family, your wife, your spouse, they weren't sitting by you. You'd do anything. God, save them. Send someone, help me. So I want to give us a charge, you know. God, how do I own the moment? God, what do I do? I'm going to live aware of what you're doing in the lives of others. And then I'm going to respond. Open your mouth. Open your heart.
Let me just pray for us this morning. You know, I pray there's a passion inside of us to reach the world that's around us, that we would not allow ourselves to be lulled asleep. And I get it, you know, we get distracted and busyness of life and schedule and pace. And, but in the midst of that, say, God, show me those around me. God, show me what to say and show me what to do and I'll do it. Remember, we're disciples, not consumers. Disciples say, God, whatever you want, however you want it, whenever you want it, I'll do it. Father, I pray for your people. Pray for our church, God. Let us get a passion for reaching the lost, God. Give us a passion for reaching those that they may not even know it. They're searching for something real, but they don't even know what it is. You said in your word that you said eternity into the hearts of man. But God, you've given us the answer, and that's you. Jesus, you are the answer. You're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. And help us, God. I, I pray right now for those that feel inadequate to talk about Jesus. Lord, I love what you said to go and to spread the good news of the gospel, that it's just about telling our story, that I'm just going to share what you've done. And then ultimately, God, just, just invite them to the place where they can meet you. God, even here at church, God, I pray for divine moments where people will be drawn to your house, that your presence would be thick and strong in this place, that people could doubt, people could ask questions, people could come in messed up, and in the midst of their mess, realize that you are real, that you love them, that you gave your son, your one and only son, to die on a cross, not stay dead, but to rise again so that your resurrection power could live inside of us, could spend eternity with you. Lord, we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, would you stir a passion in us and a hunger for the lost like never before. Don't let us be complacent. Don't let us just casually live, but God, stir us up like never before. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want to pray. I know there are some of you in this place right now, you've never surrendered your life to God. You've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. His presence is in this place right now. And we simply respond. It's the grace of God that's pulling on your heart right now. Your heart may be beating a little faster and you sense something is happening in this place. What you do is you just respond. You, you surrender now. And, and what I'm gonna ask you to do with heads bowed and eyes closed, just as an act of surrender, I'm gonna ask you just Raise your hand. Just say, God, that's me. Right now, I want to surrender my life to you. I'm not going to ask you to come down or stand up, but just in this moment as an act of surrender, that's me. I want to surrender everything to him. Just raise your hand right now in this moment. Hands up. Man. Come on, church. Tell them how proud you are. So many people. So what do we do? We're just going to pray a prayer. The prayer of surrender. We're just going to ask him right in this moment. Say, Jesus. I need you. Save me. Set me free. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Right now, I give you everything. I give you my life. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give it all to you. Right now, I surrender. In Jesus' name. Everyone's sad. Amen. So good.